truth of what happens is, as children grow up, we start to educate them progressively from the waist up. And then we focus on their heads, and slightly to one side. I think in the old days, you know, you were better off. Because nowadays, they're all specialists. Everyone's becoming better and better, and less and less. And eventually, someone's going to be superb, and nothing. Our education system has mined our minds in the way that we strip-mined the earth for a particular commodity. And for the future, it won't serve us. We have to rethink the fundamental principles on which we're educating our children. We're not here to tell everybody that they're wrong and we're right. We're not saying that we have all the answers, but um, we'd like to present a different way of looking at it. My name is Brandon Mullane. And I'm a teacher of first grade at Young Wing International School in Zhuhai City, Guangdong Province, China. Great, Brendan. Lovely to have you in the studio today. Thank you very much for coming in. My first question I always like to pose to international teachers is, what brought you to China? Well, that's a touchy subject. My marriage of 20 years broke up. And um, living... Off my teacher's salary, it was going to be very difficult to have two different places to live. And plus, I needed to have a fresh start. So this t turned out to be a good option where mm. I could move to China and live rent-free. And I have three grown sons at home, and so this way it helps me support them financially. Sure. And it was a very tough decision, but it's worked out pretty well so far. A very courageous decision. I think, Thank you. Well. I appreciate that. Mm. So have you ever been to the east of the world before? No, never. I'd never traveled to the eastern hemisphere before. Wow. And so this is uh, quite an experience it's been. I've always wanted to. I'm a very curious person and I love traveling. Mm. I've traveled all over my country and in Central America, but I've never been to the eastern hemisphere. And so how long have you been teaching for now? How long have you been in China? I've been in China for eight months. Eight months. So of course... Lucky number eight in China. Yes, lucky bar. <laughs> yes. And how's that been for you so far? I mean, has it been lucky? How's the process of integrating here eight months on? How have you found it? Yes. I was told before I left that I would experience all this culture shock. Huh. But like I said, I had already suffered so much transition and actually painful experience going mm. through that mm. that any culture shock was minimal. It's I've, And I'm a curious person anyway. And so... I found the transition to be not that difficult at all. And luckily, I was able to meet friends mm -hmm. like you and others, which made the transition easier. And people have been friendly. Life is rather easy here, mm. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. I mean, as a, as, a, as a teaching goes, because you've taught for a long time back home, which we'll get into more, what's, what's the major, you say, easier Oh, yeah, I was summer? talking more of, of actually living here, the transition. Right. Teaching wasn't so easy at first be, for numerous reasons. One, I'm teaching grade one, and they had basically no English, yeah. so to be understood. And then there's different uh, cultural um, situations that I had to get used to. And, and the main challenge was it wasn't my own classroom. We share our classroom mm. with at least two or three other teachers. Okay, And so that's kind of a something... To teach an old dog new tricks, that type of thing. <laughs> so, so where, 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 where has this old dog actually spawned from? <laughs> Sorry, that's yes. the wrong word. Spawn this. Uh, 
<laughs> Wonderful term to use, Chris. I, I appreciate that too. <laughs> yes, I was spawned in Detroit, Michigan, <laughs> some many years ago, and I grew up in a suburb called Southfield, Michigan, which is right next to Detroit. Okay. And then, I, yes. So Detroit. I mean, uh, many people who maybe aren't so collective America think of Detroit, and we think of burnt out houses, Eight Mile, Eminem. Um, but actually, that's just a very small point to take, isn't it? It's yeah. Well, Detroit. The struggles of Detroit. Uh, obviously, it was built on the big three car companies, mm. and um, when they started moving their plants, Detroit used to have two million people. And now it doesn't even have it has around seven hundred thousand. So mm-hmm. there was a huge flight from the city, and so there's all, there was all this blight, and it's the only American city ever to claim bankruptcy. All right, yeah. But it's coming back strong. It's got a deep spirit. The people in Detroit are very. They'll stand up and fight for you. They'll stick together when it gets tough. So even though there's a lot of crime, there's been a lot of problems, it's, the people are, are strong, and so mm. it's starting to come back. It's got a long way to go, but I love Detroit. People, a lot of people there love it, even though sometimes you visit other places and you're like, why am I living there? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that too, but, but it's, it's got a lot of history. It's, it's got a lot of soul. I mean, stepping out of Detroit, uh, Brendan, to where you are in China, which, of course, I bet you get to see things in a lot of a, of a different view now. What, do you see yourself going back there? I mean, that, that just quite... I don't... That, that's a very good question. I don't... Even when I visit friends in the other areas of, of America, right. like, like Oregon and different places, sometimes when you come back to Detroit, you're wondering, is this exactly where I want to live? But Michigan itself is also a beautiful state. It's got the Great Lakes. It's got beautiful forests. Right. So you can live there. But that's a good question because my friends and family, a lot of them live in Detroit area. So that might be a reason. But now that I've come here, I can see myself living anywhere. The world's a small place now. Mm-hmm. I can see myself living anywhere. And if it doesn't work out, you can move somewhere else. Indeed, indeed. I, the researchers are buzzing in my ear. They're asking me, it's a silly question, do you actually come from the Eight Mile then? Um, is it, is no, I, I actually I was born more near Six Mile, but I grew up right around eleven and a half mile. Yeah, there's a Six Mile, <laughs> but but for most of my adult life, once I bought a home, I lived in a, in a suburb called Oak Park, which right. is like nine miles. So I'm like a mile from Eight Mile, where they made all where that whole movie's based. <laughs> okay. Oh, by the way, the reason they they use the term eight miles, it's a it's traditionally that's seen as a dividing line right. between the black community and the white community mm-hmm. in the past. And so that's why they use that that title. Okay. Eight miles not the only troubled area of Detroit, unfortunately. Well, moving aside from eight miles, yeah. Brandon. So you were you were born and you grew up and you went to school then in In Southfield, which is a suburb. A suburb. I went to school at a Catholic primary school called St. Bede's yeah. from first grade to eighth grade and then that's closed now and then I went to a public high school called Southfield Lathrop High School and um, that had a mixed community of people in it. We had a Jewish community, an Arab community uh-huh. but at the time a very small African American community but now the school is predominantly African American. After um High school. What did you What did you do then? Then I went to Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan. Spartans, home of the Spartans. <laughs> a very successful, uh, nearly successful. Yeah, um, basketball and f- football program of late. 
So I went there and I graduated. I had an advertising degree just because I had to pick something oh, okay. to do. I wasn't the most uh, fervent student at the time. So I ended up into that field and I realized this is not for me. It doesn't really interest me uh. trying to sell somebody soap or whatever. And yeah. so somebody said, no, I knew I liked kids. And like, why don't you become a teacher? So I said, hey, that's an idea. So I went to Wayne State University where there was a program where I was able to get a teaching degree and a master's degree uh-huh. at the same time. So it was very opportune situation. Now, Wayne State and Michigan University, right? Michigan State University, Michigan. the yeah. enemy of Michigan, University oh, of Michigan. Oh, I do Yeah, th- that's our big uh, rival. And then Wayne State University is in the city of Detroit. And the population at Wayne State is generally a little older. It's not your traditional 18 through 20-year-olds. There's more working people that go there as well. Okay. Of course, they're all still open, aren't they? Yes, all those are very successful universities. Wind back, Brendan, to your primary years. You said it was called uh, B... St. Bede's. It was a Catholic school. Why did that close? Well, numerous reasons, financial and other reasons. It closed down. You know, I think... A lot of schools, they don't, they don't have the, the people, the membership that they used to have yeah. in, these, in a lot of these religions. And so money is an object. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the, with, with, the, with the school side of things, the primary school, have you ever been back to it? Because like, when I go back home, it's always nice, I don't know, to oh, yeah. find it just to go past where you used to be as Well, a it's, it's very it interesting now? because, like, where, first of all, I went to kindergarten at a little school up the road, which is a public school called Sims Elementary. That got knocked down years and years ago. Uh, so we go up there, and it's just gone. We spent so much time there. Then when I go to, to St. Bede's, it's now like a strip mall with, like, Papa John's and... Sorry, a strip now. A strip. a strip mall, they call it. You know, just a string oh, like a, of stores. Like a road. Okay. Yeah, they call those strip yeah. malls in America. And unfortunately, just a bunch of stores where we used to play sports and we used mm. to go to school. It's all gone. But my high school is still there. It's still, still yeah. very much there. Did it's your, did, your did your boys go there? They, no, my no, boys they, went to public school in a very nice, um, the little community called Berkeley, Michigan, which is also a suburb of Detroit. They went to school there. And it was a very good educational system there in okay, Berkeley. So it took a, a different path to yours. Yeah. Um, when you were in primary school or even middle high school, uh, this must have been, well, when were we talking about what time? We're talking way, way back. <laughs> way, way back. Was it swinging 60s? Or? <laughs> well, a little later than that. We'll say the, the, the suave 70s. The 70s. More, yeah, well, bell bottoms and... Oh, you you were, were you a bell bottom wearer? Were you? I wasn't, but my brother is guilty of having elephant <laughs> yeah. pants. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in that stage, I mean, did you enjoy school? Did I enjoy yeah. school? Well, like most kids, I'm happy when school let out. We right. had fun. I enjoyed the fact that we were allowed to go outside every day and play. And even though we just <laughs> played on, a, I'm talking about my elementary years. It was just yeah. a parking lot, asphalt parking lot, but nobody was t- worried about us getting hurt. So we could tackle each other and rip our pants, and it's just all good fun. Absolutely. And I think that's what's missing a lot of times now. There's too much safety, perhaps, yeah. for the kids, yeah. and not enough free play. Yes, it's raining. You better stay inside. Um, yes. And what I find when I speak to a lot of teachers is they always remember the times in the elementary years. And I, and I think that's a very good reason. I think that time before you're 10 and 11 is quite magical. As a, oh, it's as magical. A, There's yeah. no doubt. One of the reasons why I love to teach elementary, and of course you're teaching elementary now, 
Um, did you have like a favourite, everyone has a favourite teacher. Uh, they tend to go back to elementary because of maybe what I've just said. Does someone stick out? Yeah, well, well actually, yeah. <laughs> well, we did have a third grade teacher named Miss Geraldine Sass. And all, okay. the, all the young boys were in love with Miss Sass. She was a proper, excellent, she was an excellent teacher and she was also very beautiful. And just when you're a little boy. But my favorite teacher was, our grade eight teacher's name was Jim Craft. Right. And he had taught in, uh, somewhere in, in Arabia, I can't remember if it was Iran or somewhere he had some experience, but mm-hmm. he, he was a history teacher and he was so involved, he was so into it. Mm. And he also, vocabulary was his other passion. And he took, um, what, 12 or 13 of us boys on a backpacking trip along some old canal and then we ended up in Washington, D.C. and we went to all the, um, so we camped out and backpacked for like a week and we ended up seeing all the sites in Washington, D.C., the Smithsonian, mm. the, the Ford's Theater, all these places. And, and he didn't have to do this. This was just his own plan. And that's the type of teacher, the passion that he had yeah. came out in class. And he was fun also. He would throw erasers at us and stuff. <laughs> but he was a, just a, a brilliant teacher. So that was eighth grade? That was grade eight, so yes. That was high school? No, no, this is still at St. Bede's. St. Bede's went, for, it would be called middle school. Middle school, middle and on to high. But okay. um, at St. Bede's, it just went from first to eighth grade, and then we began, you go to high school, ninth through twelfth. And that was that's in the same area, your high school? Yeah, it's yeah. very close. But the, my high school, like I said, a lot of my friends from the Catholic elementary went to um, Catholic high schools, but I went to public high school. Okay. I still find it hard to get my head around the whole different grade comparing it with England yes yes they have different they have they call it middle school secondary school there's all these different terms so predominantly though uh, you were a teacher uh, because after university that you moved on you went into teaching you left advertising behind you did your teaching stuff and then you got a post a position in the school which you stayed for for a long time right yeah well not long after I got my teaching certificate the actual city of Detroit Detroit Public Schools had a huge um, number of teachers they needed because many teachers had left. Mm. And I went in right in the middle of the year. It was, it was amazing. They hadn't had a teacher in this uh, first grade classroom for months because something had happened. The teacher was elderly, and I think she actually fell down the stairs, oh which is not funny. But, but anyway, so I, when I came in, it was utter chaos, and they just hired me uh, very spot. quickly on the spot, but the interview seemed to go well. But they, I was breathing, so I came. So they brought me in, and and it was, it was a baptism by fire. It was, it it was um, quite an experience. And that was grade one. That was grade one. Yeah, it was grade one. Um, well, take because take me through that because now you're back to grade one. It's I'm like back full to grade one. Yeah, it's full circle. It's full circle. Yes, you're right. But how long were you in grade one for? Because you I was in there to... for a while. I was in grade one and I bounced all around. The school was called Peter Vitaw, um School in Detroit, and it's still there. It's no, it's also oh. closed. And in fact, I went back there a few. I lost my camera, but I have all I had all these pictures of where I used to teach, and. This school was in actually in in the Brightmore community, which is one of the most challenged communities right. maybe in the country for te- for uh, the standard of living for the children. The, for, but the kids are so many brilliant kids there that I loved it, teaching there. So I taught all different grades: third grade, 
I taught some, sometimes I'd have to teach a split, third ah. and fourth, but I taught first, but it was, this is a long time ago. Okay. And then you moved from that school then How, to another school. That yeah, you well, what, what happened is this school, I spent 20 years at that school. A long, long time. A lot, a lot of people came and go. And I was actually the teacher who had been there the longest. And then... You were the teacher who had been there. Yeah. Right. And then I was like the head of the school improvement team. And so I went... We needed a new principal. And I went to this... Uh, to the conference where we were going to interview. I was part of a, a team interviewing mm. principals for schools. And I just kind of had a feeling this was important. So I got, I got all suited up. I was ready to go. And I, I came there. And I met a bunch of principals who, you know, gave me their cards or whatever. And I'm a loyal person. I, I didn't want to leave VTOL school mm -hmm. because even though I knew it was going to close soon, I feel like I had to go down with the ship or whatever. Right. But I met one principal, and she was from a Mexican-American um, community in Detroit. It's called Mexican Town right around there. And so she gave me her card. And she said, give me a call. And it was a tough decision, but I called her and I went by the school and I said, I got to try this different, different experience. Yeah. So I did. She offered me a seventh grade social studies, which is like a humanities, mm -hmm. history and current events, which is always my favorite subject. And so I took the job, even though that was another tough, tough decision. I felt like a traitor mm -hmm. to my old school, but it closed mm -hmm. anyway a year later. All right, well. So, and it was a good move. So I taught 10 years teaching seventh graders one subject because in elementary you have to teach all the subjects it's very yeah. challenging okay and then that's where you came from uh a year yeah. ago yeah yeah a year ago i, I was uh i've been teaching for 10 years and actually what we study was the eastern hemisphere history of the eastern hemisphere go. so i studied a lot about china plus these things interest me anyway so i do my own reading about about the ancient world and um so it did have I, I do have some knowledge of historical culture of China and other Asian places. Um, Brendan, what did they say to you in your school when you said, "Right, I'm off to China"? Or well, um, uh, presumably, or <laughs> you know, they told me they hate to see me go, come back any time. Yeah. you know, people say those niceties. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were just smiling and. Rubbing yeah. their hands, but anyways, sure, when I sure not. but when I uh, left, they just told me if you need to come back, you can come back anytime. You can be a building sub if because when I, I retired from Detroit Public Schools, since I had so much years there, I was able to I get a can get a pension okay. there, so that helps me too. And they just they understood that in my life what was happening, even though that's hard for some people to understand. Like, how can you leave? How can you leave your kids? You know, but to me, they're grown and. So, you know, these things are tricky. So they, they supported me all the way. There's a lot of wonderful teachers, by the way, in Detroit and students, no matter what the test scores say or whatever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And all the news reports and right, trash exactly. here. All those networks. Um, I think yeah. you've answered this already, but in terms of what you've, you like teaching the most, then would it be social studies? That kind yeah, of I'm all, I, I like that. I like the study of, of humans and human culture, and I've always been interested in history whether how much of it is true or not, it's, mm. it's good stories. They're, you know, that's what I like about it. And so I like that, and I'm a person who likes literature and vocabulary. So those two things, kind of like my teacher, Mr. Kraft. I think mm. that's why I like them so much. His interests are very similar to mine. And he likes sports, I like sports. And so these are the subjects 
to me that I, I find the most interesting. So from Mr. Craft to Mr. Mullane, yeah. how would you describe your teaching style? Well, I, I think it's, a lot of it's similar. It, a lot of times it's based on passion. If I'm, if I'm passionate about the subject, then that, the students can feel it. Yeah. They can feel it, and then they, they feel it too. It's, we're not just covering ground. We're, we're trying to dig deep. Because my philosophy in education is, I believe they should, they should um, have may, way fewer topics and dig deeper. Because mm-hmm. once you, the deeper you dig into something, you learn how to make connections. <laughs> and so this can carry over to anything in life. You can, it's, just, it's learning how to learn is what it should be, to, to what I believe. But instead we cover all these topics. You barely, they're in one ear and out the other. Yeah. And you don't learn how to dig deep and make connections. I might have wandered off there, sorry. No, 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 I think it's a very important point you make because that's yeah. exactly what exams are based upon, isn't it? That very surface level of learning. Right, there and is... especially when you're, when you're just trying to pass the exams, it doesn't matter if you internalize the, the knowledge. They, it just, it's in one ear and out the other, but you did well enough to, to pass the test. But that's not going to help you. You don't have a depth of knowledge. Like if you walk into an art museum and then you see a painting and, oh, yeah, I remember that story mm. from ancient Greece or whatever. And now there's much more interest in the world because you can make connections to your prior knowledge. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for example, let's look at that uh, doorknob over there in the studio. Yes. I'm not so interested in doorknobs. No. But I bet someone who's been working with doorknobs or in that industry for a long time sat in front of me with a passion, with an interest. I bet you I could actually be sparked up to be interested in doorknobs for I, a while. I think the person's passion and speaking of yeah. doorknobs that's an educational term universal design like if you're a designer of doorknobs sometimes a handle is more accessible to everyone who can't turn a doorknob and so that's another educational thing is sometimes you have to make it accessible for everyone it's yeah. called and um and so the doorknob person's a perfect person to talk about. <laughs> Universal doorknobs. Universal doorknob design. They Op- could go on and on about it, I'm o- sure. Yeah, open your, open your knob for, for yes. people. Yes. Right, well, moving swiftly on from that um, and getting a, a little bit deeper uh, with certain things, um, prior knowledge, discipline. Now, I guess a lot of people may say, coming from Detroit and 8 Mile, where there are a lot of challenges oh, yes. uh, socially, discipline, I'm sure, Brendan, there compared to what you, you've had to deal with in China, you know, the, the kids are generally very well behaved here and, uh, you know, drill very much by the Chinese teachers. What have, is that, first of all, true? Um, and, and, and on top of that, I really wanted to know, what is your, your discipline kind of philosophy and strategy? I think you've probably got a very good... Yeah, well, one challenge, the discipline was, one thing you don't see here... Or you didn't see at my um, my last ten year school, which is also in Detroit. You don't see fights, fighting. Mm-hmm. And in in my original school, there was a lot of challenges. I, eighty ninety percent of the students came from one single parent homes, and it was just a lot more challenging. But I had the impression that if you came to China, everybody would behave perfectly. The students, and I don't think that's the case either. Sometimes. You know, they still have, they're still just kids. Sometimes they can be distracted or whatever. But I've always, the one thing in my teaching that I've always kind of had a problem with is my whole idea about discipline is I sometimes feel, you know, what are we trying to do? Force people to learn something they don't mm. want to learn. And, yeah. and it, I've, I've also, in the times from the past, I've felt like maybe school shouldn't be mandatory. Like maybe 
if you really want to be there, you should be there. But sometimes my problem with discipline is I feel like, why am I trying to force feed these people something maybe they don't want to know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's just, that, that underlies my problems with discipline. So I've tried all these different systems and this and that, but I never seem to stick with them. And I think it's because my underlying, I don't really believe in them myself. Mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like you should want to learn because you want to. So my discipline po- policy has always been, uh, proactive is keep things moving fast and try to make it interesting because if it's interesting you're not going to have discipline problems if you keep it moving and the kids are engaged you're not going to have to deal with a bunch of discipline problems because some teachers are much better at that than me they can stick like to a system like they write the t- student's name on the board and mm, give them a check mm. if you, you have to be consistent yes. and you have to believe in it and that's been my problem over the years is I'm my biggest problem with discipline is I don't not sure I totally believe in it, and so I never stick with one of the programs long enough. And so my policy has always been avoid the problems by making the class good, mm. and that's worked for me for most of my times. But that's why my here early on in, in my China experience, I wasn't I felt a little anxious on pins and needles, like what can I do for discipline. Is it going to offend the parents? And there's a communication problem. I'm not sure how they do things. So I was very tentative. But now I'm starting to realize you just got to do what you got to do, how, how you do it. And I still have the same philosophy. Look in the mirror after your lesson at the end of the day and think, what I would have wanted been in that class? Was it interesting? Mm-hmm. Did you keep, you know, were the kids the ones doing things? And, you know, you got to make a lot of corrections and adjust on the fly. Great points. And it, it makes me think, though, you know, like if you watch a because another challenge on top of what you've just said is if we go if we all go to a cinema, 100 people and we watch the same movie, each one of those people are going to have a different perception. Exactly. An opinion on the movie. So whether you think it's good as a teacher or not, or maybe little Johnny over there and little David and I should say a girl as well, shouldn't I? A little Sally over there has enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. How do we know that Bert over there has enjoyed it in the same way? So my point is when you've got 30 or 30 plus kids in a room, even though the lesson's brilliant and you're moving on, surely at some point one or two or three are going to have a few, give you surely. a few chat. How would you deal with that in a that, that, that is That's the whole challenge of teaching. And I sometimes I wonder, you know, you hear these stories that there's 60, 70 kids in the class, and I guess then you need like a real martial discipline yeah. to keep everybody moving forward and learning like the old nuns used to do. And, like, they have to do here in China, I think, at a public school where they have that many people. I mean, it's a challenge. How are you going to get to all these people? And so these are all, like you say, Chris, but that's why sometimes, like, earlier you had told told us about that program where he put a TV in the wall, a computer in the wall. Oh, right, yes. Um, and what was that called again? Sagatha Mitra's hole-in-the-wall experiment in India. Yeah. yeah, and when I hear about this hole-in-the-wall experiment, I'm so amazed that by getting out of the way, these yes. students were able to occupy themselves and learn so much that, once again, that makes you question. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It makes you question, am I doing more harm here than good? And so, to answer your question, I don't think it's possible for it to be interesting and perfect for every student yeah. every time. I think it's, that's a fallacy. You know, there's going to be some people, and everybody brings their personal problems to school. Maybe... Yeah. You, you had a, a death in the family or something tragic had happened. You, every day is, I try to teach the kids, we're just all trying to move along a, a continuum here. We're just mm-hmm. trying to move forward, hopefully. You know, some days we're going to have good days, some days won't be as good, but as long as we have respect and mm. 
and we tried we're trying to improve ourselves that's the most you can ask for I think but but that is a thing like you say sometimes I you feel like maybe I should just step out of the way <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, uh, I'll be back in a minute yeah. <laughs> yes yeah um, when you were in De- Detroit Brandon teaching say social studies for 10 years how many were in a class roughly well usually even though I was teaching lower elementary I never had under 30 there would okay, always so be like lot, yeah. but never one time for six weeks I had like 50 first graders but that was absurd that was insane but that's because they had staffing issues. Right. But normally the normal would be around 32 or 33 students in a class. And it might be a little bit more for middle school. So us teachers were always fighting for lower class size because that's the only way you're going to get around to all the students. Yes, yeah, exactly, to create that connection. To create a connection yeah. and to actually you know, make sure you speak to each student every day. It's tough the more numbers you have, and especially at a lower grade. Because the other thing I've always believed is if they would, if they would like in a city, like Detroit's just one example, any, any urban mm. district was struggling. If they really wanted to solve the problem, they would invest all their money in the kindergarten and first grade, and they would spend as much money just like the, the best private school. You're not going to let these kids leave this grade without learning how to read, mm. whether that means they're taking out one-on-one, whatever. Imagine the cost they would save on the other end when they don't have to put them in prison, yeah. they don't have to, all these social ills. So it makes you wonder, is a level playing field really what's wanted? Mm. Maybe that's not what's wanted because it seems pretty obvious. Invest the money because when you get to third grade and you can't read, you realize this isn't for me, I'm this school bit. You know, it's too late. So they know this, they have the research. Why not spend the money up front and and... Whatever it takes, make sure that those youngsters can read and do what they need to do, and then, you know, you'll see a, a big change in things. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, sometimes we wonder if that's what's really wanted. Yeah, and I because that's competition. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head though with literacy. It's really important. I think even you see in China when kids go into an international school, if they're in the fourth, fifth grade, and they can't understand language, they're not English literate. Right. It's not surprising that, okay, the grades are bad, but their behavior is not good either because they can't understand anything and therefore there's no interest or connection and therefore what else do they have to do in that period? <laughs> I exactly agree. I mean, that's why I was at the beginning of the year, I'm, I'm up there and you forget that these children do not understand what right. you're saying and I talk too fast and, and then I start getting frustrated. It's like, this is a great lesson. And then I realize, what if I was sitting there listening to somebody, blah, 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 blah. Of course I'm going to disconnect of course mm. I'm going to misbehave it only makes perfect sense and it, the hard thing to remember sometimes is that you know most of what I say is passing over your head at yeah. this point and so yeah I think the two are totally tied together I think most listeners listening to our podcast are probably saying exactly yes. the same thing okay let's move on let's, let's lighten the things up everyone has an embarrassing moment none no more so than us teachers and educators do you have one that comes to mind? An yes, e- let me wade through the number of <laughs> the huge number of embarrassing experiences. They continue to this day. I'm a slow learner, but the the one I I think is was pretty funny is in my first year I got put in that totally chaotic room. It was the kids had a different teacher every day, so I'm in there, and here comes somebody from the the department, one of the higher ups, and they're going to evaluate. They're going to sit in on my no, class, really? and I'd only been there. Maybe two weeks. Typical. And 
she came in and the class was just completely <laughs> off the hook. Kids were coming up to me, wanted to play basketball. Check me, Mr. Malay, check for you. Like we would do it. I'm like, sit down. And the whole thing was a total disaster. So then the, the bell rang. We were able to go out for recess for it. And then I had to meet with this lady for her evaluation. And I was so upset. I think I'm going to get fired here. <laughs> so we went outside. And uh, something happened. I, got, I lost my temper. I got so angry. I, I yanked on my shirt sleeve and literally pulled my whole shirt sleeve off. <laughs> So I have this long sleeve shirt with a tie, and one arm is exposed, and the shirt sleeves off, and the bell rings. I have to go in and meet this lady again and explain to her. And, and you the know, kid bit me. Yeah, and so this this whole thing, and of course she wasn't happy with my lesson yeah. to start with, but I flipped the whole table on her, and it worked out very well. I, oh, I was okay. all ears to her suggestions. <laughs> yeah. Which always helps. Always be all ears to what you can tell me. And and um, <laughs> so it all went fine after that. And then I stayed there for many years. And I did improve as a teacher. Uh, you, I'm sure you did. And that, that shirt, was it the left arm or the right arm? It was the left arm. So I, you could shake a hand with the right one. Yeah. Keep the one on the left. Needless to say, you know. <laughs> okay. Brilliant, Brendan. Let's now move forward to where you are in China. You're teaching grade one. You've been here for eight months. What's unique about this grade one Mr. Mullane classroom in Young Wing School, China? Well, I'm not, no, no, so the uniqueness of it, but one thing I appreciate is the teachers that I do share the room with, we really have a good rapport, a good relationship. Excellent. We share the room, we share everything, we're willing to help each other out, and that's the only way it can succeed when you have three, four teachers coming in yeah. and out of a class. And so I think we're supporting each other well. And, and at first there might have been some friction as to teaching styles, but now we're starting to learn to work together. And I, I really am loving this experience. At first I'm thinking, wow, this is frustrating. But now the kids are making such huge progress in speaking, and I'm, and I'm starting to really appreciate the challenge of teaching somebody a new language. And so I think that's what's special is just the, the rapport we have amongst the students and the teachers in the room. Everybody really cares about each other in our class. And we have a, you know, a good morale in our class. I think that's the, the number one thing I can think of. I mean, I, I think Young Wing School should be sponsoring or paying China Jedi for even just that little clip it of what you've just said. I think that's wonderful. They could be playing it through their tannoys every day. <laughs> tannoys, okay. Pra propaganda. <laughs> um, so a bit more on that, Brendan. Yes. Eight months in a Chinese school, first time in China. What, what's been a major challenge on the work front as a teacher? You said earlier, of course, that you, didn't, you don't have your own classroom, which, which I can imagine as a teacher for a long time has been very different to adjust. Yes. Can you... Yeah, well, like you said, Chris, and I've heard you mention and others mention, is if you have your own room, you're, already, you're always prepared. You have all your supplies ready. Everything's there. And that's another thing that I'm a little surprised about is that the lack of like just basic teacher supplies in a handy way for us to yeah. use, that could be an improvement that they could make. And they have made improvements on that, making sure we had certain supplies. But those, just, those, those nuts, and bolts, nuts and bolts of the whole operation, little things like that can throw you off if you don't have the, mm. you're not ready. You need scissors and glue or whatever you need. And so I think that's been one challenge. The other challenge is I don't feel like I'm used to having more of a connection with my parents and maybe that's my own fault for um, being a little timid with the language or whatever. Or I kind of feel like the Chinese teacher, she's more in touch with them. 
so I kind of leave it to her so much. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel like maybe there's a little, not enough communication between me and the parents. So I feel like I'm walking on eggshells, not wanting to offend mm-hmm. anybody or that type of thing. Like, so that, I feel like that's a little bit of a challenge. Because I'm used to, I've, I've been the teacher for so long, I'm used to like, this is my world now. You're in my room, this mm-hmm. is my class. Parents, this is how we do things. Sure. And, and that's been a challenge. But, you know, we all need to adjust. And I'm, I'm realizing I've needed to adjust and I still need to change a lot of the things I do. But I think there needs to be more of a way that we can communicate with the parents. But I understand there's a lot of difficulties in that. Yeah, very much. And I, and I think in China, you know, I mean, certainly not the first to say that, but it very much is the role of the, it's certainly in these bilingual schools, which Jung Wing is, for the Chinese teacher to be the head of the communication, shall we say, in that, um, instead of some rogue Oh, one th- One thing I would like to add is, since I've been a teacher so long and kind of winding down, I guess, in a way too, I kind of like that role of being, of having someone else ca- shouldering you know, actually, you know, the the heavy load, because it's a lot of work, you know, mm. c- constantly communicating, constant. and our, my co-teacher communicates with the parents a lot more than I ever did, and so um, I do kind of, in a way, it's a challenge, but in a way, it's a relief that somebody's there to shoulder so much of the load, and I can just enjoy the students, and, because um, this is a new challenge of me to teach people who can't speak any English at all, so that's taken up all my efforts. So it's, you know, it's a challenge, but it's also a boon, I guess. So would you like me to remove from the podcast that you'd like to change the communication level between yes. you as a foreign teacher and the, and, the, and the Chinese parents? Yeah, please remove that. <laughs> remove remove that anything suggestion. that could cause any trouble for a- any me. Any extra possible work for, yeah. for teacher Malayne. Yes. Okay, fantastic. I mean, just coming in on the, your experience in, in, um, in Michigan, Brendan, in, in, in the schools in Detroit, the parents there, you said a lot of them were single parents yes although you don't communicate directly with the chinese parents in your school you can see that very much the chinese parents are heavily involved well, in what yeah. the school's doing is that the that's same that's a very or- good point i mean this is just you know for various reasons a sad truth it's like for most of my years as a teacher not so much my last 10 years like i said that was a different situation the families it, it but in my most of my years in detroit we might have a teacher's conference mm. and there'd be five parents show up. Oh, wow. Out of 30. For various reasons. They can't show up. A, a mother's yeah. trying to work two jobs to yeah. take care of her family. Various reasons. And there's also a system of under, of, of, you know, if the parent got no education and there's no books at home and it was a bad experience for them, you know, this is a, there's, this is a, uh, a social issue mm-hmm. it goes a lot deeper but anyways and here in china every parent's there every day we we could they could call that their school tomorrow and every student will be in school which i admire their dedication to the to their students education mm-hmm. their kids education but it's completely different the parents are involvement is like the polar opposite and it's not because obviously that the, the parents in detroit didn't care it's just Different reasons, <laughs> many reasons, obviously. Yeah, and I, for anyone who comes to live and work in China, and, and I really do say come and do it because it really does open your mind because it's coming from a world, I'm generalizing here, but a lot of things are the, the complete opposite when you come here. And it really is that yeah. yin and yang scenario. So it's, uh, 
yeah, it can be uncomfortable at first, but it really is a roller coaster of uh, of enjoyment. I find yes, up and I, down. Yes, I agree. Now, this question is something you could probably deliberate over and talk about for hours. But I want you to sum it up in a sentence. Wow. I'm going to give you more than a word. Question is, you know, what's your opinion then on the current state of education? And you can take that here or as a worldwide kind of aspect. What's working and what needs to be improved and changed? In your years as an experienced teacher now, what do you think is the... Wow, I could go on and on. You could, and that's why I very much... Yes, (laughs) but what I would say is there's too much focus on standardized testing because kids cannot be... People cannot be pigeonholed and categorized so easily. And I, I do believe there is going to be a move towards people following their passion more at a younger age. I know people have tried it before in different schools, but there has to be something where people are judged for more than what they get on a standardized test, what their score is, their marks. I just believe that. And I think some districts are going more in that direction, and I think it's a mistake. Right, okay. I mean, in, in China, you've seen in the last eight months, yeah. again, very much... The pressure this... on these youngsters, and I understand because the numbers of them trying to, trying to get into a top high school, for example, and your your odds are so small and the competition so so extreme yeah. that the pressure on these young people yeah. is something else. I, I don't know how they can cope with it. And following it through, it's like... Do all of those kids need to go to a high school? Maybe some of those kids, if they were allowed to follow some of their passions and innate kind of abilities, would feed off to somewhere else in society. I I agree. So I have to ask you probably for the most important um, answer of the show and interview today. With all your massive amounts of experience back home and your short time in China, give us a teacher's tip. A recipe for success if you want to compete. Well, this is my teacher's tip, particularly for those of you who are in a very tough situation and you find yourself, you come home one day and I can't do this anymore. You had the most horrible day and you're dreading going back the next day. But one thing I found over the years, it almost happens every time without fail, is when you have a horrible day the next day will be great. Something will happen and you're just like, wow, I love this. And it just seems to happen every time. I don't know what it is. Maybe you change your approach. But something, so hold on to that thought. When you feel like quitting, the next day always brings something good. So that's my tip. And my other tip is don't be afraid to steal from other teachers. That's a sign of flattery. And appreciate everybody's approach is different. And learn from your, your fellows. And that's my teacher's tip. Yeah. Trust you to get in free tips. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to throw a couple extra tips in there. Brendan, it's been lovely having you here. Oh, my um, pleasure, Chris. We, we wish you all I the best. It. And uh, who knows, we may have you on again. Thank you so much. Okay, and please edit out the bad parts. <laughs> <laughs> this is China Jedi, people. All right. Thank you, sir. enjoy listening to the china jedi podcast and want to get involved either by asking a question expressing your opinion good or bad light or dark or even appearing as a special guest then get in touch by emailing our team at info at chinajedi.com that's info at chinajedi.com may the smile be with you